Hi, Tony Hackett is my name, and I'm your host at the Startups Roundtable, where we speak with people associated with the startup ecosystem. Today's guest is Suzanne Noble, who is a serial entrepreneur currently working on a solution to help homeowners over 50 age in place and reduce social isolation by matching them with compatible long-term lodges called silver sharers. And in addition, Suzanne has launched the Startup School for Seniors, which is an eight-week e-learning course for unemployed Londoners aged 50 plus with the desire to start their own business. If you think we have plenty to cover in this conversation, you're exactly right. So let's get started and meet Suzanne. Well, I'm up to a couple of things that are running simultaneously, and they're both around the aging space. So I'm going to be 60 next year. And around four years ago, I got involved purely by accident with some friends around challenging the media narrative around aging. We were all women and thinking about how the media reflected who we are, what we're about. Mainly it was negative. And we created a website called Advantages of Age, which then led me down this whole path into what happens when you're an older person. And as I went on that journey, I uncovered the multitude of problems that I felt needed solving and thought, I'll try and solve a few of them myself if I can. With COVID, that's escalated things. So I set up a not-for-profit called Advantages of Age in 2017 and started getting some grant funding, helping older people to look into how they could become self-employed, start their own business. I was working in the community doing that. And more recently, at the beginning of lockdown, got some grant money to create an online platform, which launched last week called Startup School for Seniors. And it's an eight-week e-learning platform with a weekly Zoom session. We've got 110 participants, mainly from the London area, who are all people with an idea that they want to create a business out of. Some of them have already got a business and they want to take it to the next level. But they're all in some way looking at self-employment as being their next step. Alongside that, that's my side hustle, if you like, just a little side hustle. My main business is I run a startup called Silver Sharers, and that's helping people over 50 to find compatible lodgers of any age. We started off based in London. We're now rebranding, rebuilding the site with an aim to relaunch at the sometime in November. That's been really interesting. We've had some investment from a tech for good accelerator called Bethnal Green Ventures. They're Europe's most prestigious tech for good program, comes with some investment. And we're now in talks with VCs about the next stage of investment and looking at that. So that's been interesting, but we're still running silver shares. So so it's about balancing the two until we get to the next iteration of it. Both immensely interesting to me. Maybe if we could start with silver sharers and just to take me through the thinking there that took you from idea to actually starting it. And if I could add where my asterisk is, if I created my understanding of what you're doing, I had a real sense of community come to me, not just a place of living and location. Yeah, completely. Well, the business sprung out of my lived experience. I had, and I still have, a lodger. My original lodger, I've been an Airbnb host for a number of years, like many people my age. 
And I was running two rooms on Airbnb and feeling more and more like a housekeeper as I was changing sheets every day and doing all of that. And I found that the Airbnb experience, while fun at the very beginning of starting it, was becoming less and less fun. And it was becoming less and less about being a local host, giving people a sense of what it meant to live in London, and more about just delivering them into a room. Sometimes I didn't even see them. An opportunity arose to have somebody live with me who was a friend of a friend. He was 53. He was also in startup land. And we started talking about it. And I must admit, I was kind of hesitant at the beginning of it, thinking, I don't know if I really want to do this. And then he moved in with me. And it was actually a lot of fun. And he lived with me for two and a half years. And during that period of time, my partner closed his business of many, many years. And as a result, he didn't have the credit history to be able to rent a place on his own. And I said to him, well, why don't I try and help you? Why don't we see if we can't find you something like a room in somebody's house with somebody your own age? Let's see if we can do that. And I went on the platforms aimed at much younger people mainly and discovered that when you're 63 years old and you want to live in this way, it's really difficult. And it was really depressing to go on these visits and views with him and see what was available. I thought there's got to be something better than this. And I started asking, I run a large Facebook community with my not-for-profit and I asked people in the group, does anybody else live like this with other people? And a whole bunch of people put their hand up and said, yeah, I do. So I met randomly an anthropologist stroke market researcher. And together we spent about six months doing some very deep customer research around what was the problem? Why were these people living like this? What was it that led them to this circumstance? Was it mainly financial? Was it about social connections? Was it a mix of both? On both sides, what was the impetus for them to end up living in shared accommodation at an older age? I was introduced again quite randomly to someone working already in this space, but with a much younger group in the more obvious way. And he was finding that a very saturated market, which it is, student shared accommodation. He said, yeah, I'm interested in this problem that you're aiming to solve. Let's see if we can work on it together. And we joined Y Combinator's free online startup school last year, which was, I have to say, was just the best experience for us in terms of getting to see how we work together, going through that program in a very structured way, but with very light touch. I really liked it. I've been on lots of these programs before and continue. Now I'm delivering them. But I really liked Y Combinator Startup School. After seven weeks of that, we launched. When you were doing your research, what were one or two surprises that really jumped out at you? What myself and the guy that researched it with me, he really thought I was nuts. And by the end of it, he said, this is a cultural trend. Like, you know, you're onto something here. This isn't random. He thought when I approached him about helping me with the research, he really didn't see that this was anything significant. And by the end of it, I suppose once you start looking at the numbers, and Australia is actually a really interesting example as well, because I read a piece in the New York Times, very depressing piece in the New York Times last week around 
the amount of women that are not able to be employed over 50 because they're considered to be past it. And it's very difficult for them to find a job. And so they're living on some form of benefit. They're living with a very low income. And clearly there are multiple reasons why people end up in this circumstance. Mainly for people like myself, it's because we were lucky enough to be able to own our homes when mortgage rates were very cheap, when prices were very, very low in the 80s. That delivered most of our, many, many of our generation into a place of being able to own a home. But of course, owning a home costs money. Keeping it maintained, as we just discussed with painting and decorating and everything, costs money. If you don't have a big enough pension or if your retirement savings haven't delivered you into the place that you are expecting, then how are you going to make up that money to be able to keep the roof over your head? Because most of us want to be able to live in the place we know and love. And that was one of the many things that I discovered. It's amazing work. And I love that you've been able to express diversity and inclusion as part of your life, not as an adjunct to it. I didn't expect it to be an adjunct, but I'm saying the way you've expressed it, it's something that's very important to me. And I'm fortunate to work in a team inside the company I'm employed by, where each week when we have our team huddle, we actually have what we refer to as a diversity share, that we do not finish the meeting without at least one person bringing a comment or a note or a reflection on diversity and inclusion. And we started that four months ago. We'd seen some programs that were very large programs, and it's hard to sustain. But the diversity share, we haven't missed a meeting with at least one person having that, and for it to be front of mind. And I agree with the importance. And it's about having it as a consciousness that we need to opt out of thinking about it, not to think to opt in. And that's the only way we'll actually create the change and sustain the change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have to think about practical solutions. There's so much talk in the aging ecosystem, if you like, around what to do about when you get older, where you're going to live. People talk about community. People talk about building these kind of intergenerational communal style housing. We don't have the retirement communities that places like the States and Australia have. They're relatively scarce in the UK. And we have a big problem with land. We don't have enough of it and land, especially in the cities, is very, very expensive. So when it becomes available, it immediately gets swapped, you know, taken by big developers who want to build high rises for professional people. So when I hear people talking about like aging in place, which is something, a word that gets brought up a lot in the world that I'm in, which is just about aging in place is nothing more than I don't want to go into a care home. Thank you very much. And I want to be able to remain in my home, how am I going to be able to do that? And it could be something around adaptability, it could be around finances, whatever it happens to be. But ultimately, there's limited solutions. (laughs) I don't see that many. So it may be a behavior change that needs to take place that makes people think, I am going to let this company find me somebody nice to live with. Because that's one of the solutions that's available to me to allow me to live here. And if they're a nice person and if we get along, then that's going to be great. But it does take a bit of an, you know, it is a nudge, a behavior nudge, because it's not something that everybody wants to do. And I acknowledge that. I think the charm of your experience, though, allows that compatibility to be, to be fueled. And that, that's such a key element of what you've just described. 
Yeah. I mean, last week we matched a woman who was 90 and was an artist and had some mobility issues with a guy who was also a part-time artist who needed to find some affordable accommodation because he split up from his wife of many, many years. And he was in a situation that he didn't expect to be in. But he just rang me and said, this could not have been more ideal. Like we're already finding so many connections and he's doing a bit of, you know, shopping. He's like, do you want to go to a gallery together? She's delighted. So it's circumstances like that. It's not always the age is not always so extreme. Sometimes it's people of the same age. Sometimes it's people of different age. We found that the age is fairly agnostic in terms of what the homeowner is interested in. Just want to find someone to live what they like. Friendship, there's a lot to be said for that standalone of everything else. Suzanne, I'd love to now go down the path of the startup school and to understand some about that because as you expressed it, I start to picture myself in the frame of the world you're painting. So please, could you tell me some more about that? My colleague and I have spent the past five months making videos every week which are on topics from where do ideas come from? How do you find your customers? How do you market your customers? Do you need funding, a legal framework? All of the kind of usual things, but very much set within the context of being an older person. So every week we interview an older business owner about their experience very much in this way. And we share that. And we released around four, although we've made so many videos. We've got a volunteer video editor who's also over 50. He's an ex-policeman. And he said, I didn't know what I was getting myself in for with this. Yeah, so we release videos every week. Then people have to fill in a little form that asks them how many people they've spoken to, what they've learned, and how they're feeling, and setting some goals for the following week. And then once a week, we all meet on Zoom, and we go into breakout rooms, and we talk about our experiences. So last week was our first breakout room. One, the breakout room my colleague was in, three people said in that room, I believe this course has been sent to rescue me. When you come to this age and you've lost your job and you've had a corporate career, you find yourself not being able to get another job because of COVID and your age and all the stuff that's happening in the world. It's a very difficult place to be in. And I've been doing this work with these people for a number of years. And I and part of the reason I wanted to deliver it online to be, if I'm really frank, is because delivering it to small groups of people face to face, well, one is it's not really scalable. It's quite difficult to scale that. And the second thing is it's quite difficult on an emotional level to, to be with a number of people who are your peers and who are no different from you. No, no different. They just ended up in this place that was not expected. Dealing with that emotional stuff can be quite hard. So I really have wanted to do this online for a while, sort of also to make me a little bit less, protect myself a bit in how I deal with it all. I'm so glad you're doing it. It's such an important thing. What you're describing is something I've reflected on. Not that my employment isn't solid, but who knows? In the world we're living in right now, who does know? So then how do you take that experience and knowledge when the confidence has probably ebbed some and work out how to take that next step forward? So what you're describing and what I'm understanding of it is such a powerful, powerful offering. I'm so pleased you're doing it. Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> but the, the ideas that are coming through are amazing. And they're so diverse. They're just diverse group of people 
from a guy who used to be an ex-pro boxer who wants to set up a wellness center to a woman who wants to set up a vegan food collective all making vegan food, to a woman who makes amazing hats that are vintage inspired. It's an amazing group, an ex-IT guy who wants to do a social media site aimed at men. It's a crazy and great group of people who were just, even in the first session, they said, we felt so inspired just listening to people's ideas. And of course, the truth is that people that start businesses over 45 are more likely to be successful. That's the stats. That's the fact. So everyone sort of thinks, oh, they don't have the energy. They don't have the, oh, maybe they don't have the techie skills to do this. It's not true. Just not true. It has a similarity, in my mind at least, to the Silver Share because it's about community. It's about actually bringing people together and allowing them to be more than they are on their own. How do you look for data and trends then to give you the confidence to start and then to start to build out a vision for yourself? I have a massive, literally humongous Google Drive of research and reports and stats and facts. And it's a bit overwhelming, actually, because especially at the moment, three years ago, it was very difficult to find much information. And in fact, with Silver Sharers, it was, I really, really had to dig deep to find and consult academics that were outside the UK and people that I just found that had done some research around this because it's very new and there's very little research that's been done in housing. But in the unemployment space, there's much more information available. And we have an organization that's very well funded in the UK called the Center for Aging Better, and they churn out reports. Those reports are full of useful statistics and there's lots of, clearly with COVID, we've become part of the agenda now. I think that was the thing before is people were looking at 18 to 25 year olds and they were looking at other communities, other groups and going, those people don't have a problem. I found it very hard to convince funders and others that actually it wasn't easy street for all of us, despite what they may have thought. But now we're seeing the statistics now with over 50s being unemployed as a result of COVID and the likelihood of them being re-employed as a result of COVID are so horrifying that frankly, nobody can ignore me anymore. You mentioned Y Combinator as being a key part of your own learning and your progress over the last year, during the last year. Could you maybe tell me what mentors and coaches have meant to you and how you would advise somebody to think about mentors and coaches? I seem to run into people, not constantly, but the more you become, the more you become visible for doing a particular type of work the more people want to help you. I think that's generally true. They want to support you when they think that the work that you're doing is valuable. They want to support you. So over the years, I I currently have a mentor with Silver Sharers who Bethnal Green Ventures was very important for myself and my co-founder in meeting really great mentors. One of the great things about the program, which was virtual for the first time ever, was that they overloaded the mentorship to make up for the lack of real life support that we were going to be getting. And we really took advantage of that. So we've got some amazing 
very experienced people who are helping us around our fundraising and around really nailing down our unit economics and helping to test out some of our designs and user journeys. With my previous, I had a previous startup and actually got some funding from Virgin Startup Loans, which is, as it says, it's a startup loan. And my mentor actually became an investor because he liked what we were doing so much that he said, I'm going to stop mentoring you and I'm going to actually give you some money. It's very nice. So I think that finding good mentors is really important. I've had bad ones as well, really bad ones that have not understood what my business was about. They were delivered on behalf of accelerator programs and they weren't particularly helpful. So I, I think the thing that people fail to understand about mentoring is that there are some extremely experienced people out there who are very successful. If you go to them and say, I'm just starting in this sector and I've respected and admired what you've been doing for so long, would you consider giving me some support? A lot of people will say, yeah. I'd love to, because at that point they want to give back. So don't be afraid to go to somebody who's really, who you see as being beyond somebody that you can approach, because actually there's a lot of amazing people out there who want to help others once they've reached that height of success. That's wonderful advice. And it's probably a a great place for us to to wrap up today's conversation. Suzanne, it's been a delight to hear two stories, but also just having met you, I feel energized. So thank you for taking the time today. Thank you, Tony, and enjoy the rest of your day. If you're like me, you can only feel inspired and energized after hearing what Suzanne is up to. As always, feedback is appreciated. Thanks for listening and bye for now.